Hello and welcome back to Tales from Mysteria Lane. I'm Joel. What are you doing? Doing my Australian accent. I'm Billy Ray. And today we will be discussing Season 3, Episode 5 of Desperate Housewives, Nice She Ain't. Oh, uh, the title. The title. That's such a... <laughs> when I was younger, my aunt, would, whenever someone would say the word ain't, one of my aunts would say, ain't ain't a wad. She says using that word. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so today I will be doing the overview of the episode and B will be doing the trivia. So, babe, do you have anything to start us off? Yeah. This episode was written by Alexandra Cunningham and Susan Naira Jaffe, and it was directed by David Warren. It originally aired on the 22nd of October, 2006. Mm, there are a couple of new names there. Yeah, Susan and Naira Jaffe and David Warren were new. Oh. The episode title, Nice She Ain't, is the title of a song cut from Gypsy by Jewel Stein with lyrics by Stephen Sondheim. Okay, yeah, yeah. I can't say Nice She Ain't without the whole sentence sounding proper common now. Yeah, because it's just common. Ain't, ain't, nice she ain't. So the titles of this episode are, in Croatian, she isn't nice. In Spanish, she's not nice. In French and Italian, the art of sabotage. Love that. Mm. In German, it's just sabotage. (laughs) Oh, that's even better. And in Hungarian, it's capturesis. What? Capturesis? C-A-P-T-I-O-U-S-E-S. Captuitous? Captuses. Oh, okay, I'm not sure. Oh, well. You tried, Germany, you tried. That's Hungarian. (laughs) Oh, sorry. (laughs) You tried, Hungary, you tried. And there might be some other things sprinkled in. Who can say? So basically, all of those other titles were better than the American one. Well, the American one are very limited by what they can call their their episodes now. They've they've kind of shot themselves in the foot, really. Mm -hmm. So, previously on Desperate Housewives... Orson was accused of murdering his ex-wife, Alma, and an unknown body has been unearthed. Well, it's Monique. Mm, Well, (laughs) yeah, but I'm trying to be mysterious and you've ruined it. (laughs) I can't believe you. Carlos has moved back in with Gabby. Tom is still looking for his dream job, emphasis on the still. And Danielle is sleeping with the history teacher. And Mike has woken up from his coma. And so Edie has taken it upon herself to um, fill in the blanks from the past two years. I mean, she's kind of... Colouring outside the lines in this in this case. Yeah, yeah. There are there are some parts of the drawing which are brilliant, artistic, Van Gogh, and then there are other parts that are a little bit more Picasso. Like you have to squint and you can sort of see where she's got the idea from. But yeah, she's pushing <laughs> in puzzle pieces that don't fit. Yes, yeah. She's just slamming them in because she wants to get this puzzle finished. Exactly. Um, and so that's pretty much all you need to know, really. Uh, So we open with Mary Alice, who starts talking about the art of sabotage. And we see a few sort of over-the-top examples in true Desperate Housewives fashion, including Karen McCluskey calling the the town council on her neighbour's giant pet pig, which was very strange. Um, We cut to Brie, who's turned up to a dingy motel to catch her daughter and the school history teacher going at it. The first motel owner just sort of laughs her off until Brie emphasises the illegality of the teacher's actions, which convinces him to take Brie to the room and unlock it for her. Yeah, the guy's quite funny. He is really funny. She's like, like my 17-year-old daughter? And he's like, oh, room 17. There's irony for you. <laughs> uh, we don't really get to see the scene, but we hear bits and pieces from outside, including the teacher, telling Brie what gives you the right to come in here. <laughs> yeah, I wrote that. Like, um, what are you talking about, man? Uh, by the time Brie leaves the room, it sort of sounds like Mr. Filardi is dumping a crying Danielle. That's what I thought. Like, that's sort of what it sounds like, but we only get to hear little little snippets. I love how we can he- sort of hear what's going on and the yelling until Brie comes out and the door closes. 
and then we don't hear Danielle and Mr. Flardy yelling anymore. Yeah, pretty weird that. Doesn't yeah. really match up. No, no. But the motel owner, or at least the guy who's working in the office, he's the main character of this scene. Oh, he is. And, like, he's just... He was even concerned, you know, Brie doesn't have a gun in her bag because he's just put down a new carpet. I, I felt disappointed for you because I feel like you would have loved to have seen the new carpet no. to make comments on it. It was funny, though, and then she comes out like, oh, and by the way, the new carpet looks fabulous. Only Brie, only Brie can go in there and then come out and make some sort of compliment on the interior design yeah. between all of that drama that's going on. Only she would notice the interior design when her daughter's sleeping with a history teacher. Yeah. We then have the title sequence and we once again cut to Mary Alice who now starts talking about family dinners and how there's only really one house on the lane where family dinners remained a mandatory event. Who? And that's the Vanderkamps. Oh. <laughs> Everyone else seems to have some, like, god-awful microwavable dinners. Is anyone surprised that Brie is the one making the, the homemade meals? No, not really. And I love that she's still sat there like, no, family dinners are, a, like, a mandatory thing. You you come to every family dinner. Damn right. I feel like that would be ours growing up. Our kids will be at that dinner table with us every night. Oh, yeah. I love that Brie is always making a family dinner. And that she has a lazy Susan. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, right. No, and no, we don't mean Susan Meyer. Uh, <laughs> A lazy Susan being the spinny food this, dish thing. Yeah, yeah, which you like spin around. She just had like olives and stuff on it, but you can put anything on a lazy Susan. Yeah, you know that Bree saw that and she was like, I've got to have the lazy Susan. Yeah. That's going to really jazz up my dinner times. So everyone is having a lovely time, except for Danielle, who seems to be harbouring a grudge on her mother's antics at the motel. <laughs> and after some light shade from Andrew, and I need you to play that sting. What sting? Yeah, I love to read sting. Okay. Oh, Yes. I love to read. Danielle proceeds to announce that her life is over. Now, guys, get ready, because Andrew is throwing out the shade in this episode. Like, and Orson is loving it. Orson <laughs> is absolutely loving it. Andrew's there, like, he's finally come into his own little, little like, gay self, and he's just there, like, reading everyone to filth. And by everyone, I mean his little sister. <laughs> yeah. Danielle doesn't like spring lamb. She likes old goat. And then Orson's just like... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so um, nobody seems to really care that Danielle announces that her life is over and everyone continues to shade the shit out of her, really. And this proves to be too much for poor old Danielle, who throws her plate against the wall and walks out. They don't care because she's been so overdramatic. She is being overdramatic, considering her boyfriend was just killed six months ago and she's there like, I love him. And <laughs> she's like, oh, he's getting a divorce. And also like, well, that hardly boosts his suitability. <laughs> yeah. Quite surprised that when she didn't get the sympathy vote, she didn't start bringing up Matthew. <laughs> mm-hmm. Have you got any trivia on this? No. Oh, okay. So I do. Um, Danielle on throws what? the plate <laughs> on this scene. Danielle throws the plate, and when we cut to her leaving, the plate's back on the table oh, in right. front of her. <laughs> I love a goof. It's like in-universe magic. Yeah. You're kind of showing me up here, babe. Why? I'm the trivia guy to the, this week. Sorry, but I only got that because I got it from last week and it was the <laughs> wrong episode that they gave me trivia for, like you had the week before. Uh, so we move to Lynette um, and Lynette comes home from work and Tom is making pizzas. He um, is. He and is. look at him chucking that dough in the air. He is doughing that dough. I don't really know what the terminology is for when you throw the dough in the air. I'm not sure, but I think what he's doing is kneading it. Yeah, like there's the kneading. I'm not sure if the throwing in the air is considered kneading or if it has its own separate I don't, like, wording. I'm not sure. Does it have a word? I don't know. It I might th- do. I'm not a professional pizza maker. We, we'll call we'll call our local Domino's and ask. A pizzierge. <laughs> yes. Um, apparently, they're celebrating and because Tom knows what he wants to do now, and he knows what his dream is. And his dream is pizza. 
<laughs> um, Tom wants to open a pizza parlor. He seems very excited by this. Uh, this comes out as quite a bit of a shock to Lynette, and I'm sure the audience when they first watch this episode. Uh, but Tom is so, so sure and believes that this job runs in his blood due to his ancestry. Apparently, Tom has Italian ancestry. <laughs> And Lynette seems to be too shocked to really play the supportive wife role currently. <sighs> and so begins Pizzagate. Yep, yep. I guess at least she was nice about it. She was nice, sort of. <laughs> but the, the pizza looks good. It looks good, whether it tastes good or not, I don't know. But it, the pizza definitely looked delicious. So we'll give Tom... I, I give Tom a 9 out of 10 on the visuals for the pizza. <laughs> it just <laughs> kind of came out of left field, didn't it? Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> Where did this come from? This was never hinted at before. No. And also, where did it come from that Tom was part Italian? Like, he has marinara sauce in his blood or whatever. Yeah, because when he said it's in his in his blood, I was like, what, Caucasian people make good pizza? He was like, oh, you know, my Uncle Vinny came to, you know, and he turned that restaurant or whatever into a gold mine. Oh, of course, it was Uncle Vinny. Yeah, right. <laughs> right? I'm surprised it wasn't Luigi or... <laughs> So we move to Gabby and Carlos is setting up candles in Gabby's room. Um, she believes he's trying to seduce her and refuses to fall for his, you know, cheesy come-ons, but finds a naked girl in her bathtub and quickly realises all the stuff set up in her bedroom, by the way, isn't actually for her. Mm. I mean, damn, Gabby blew out like four different candles all at once. Oh, well, girl's talented. Four she candles. Could, girl can blow. They were in a line. Yeah. She just blew them. She must be great at birthday parties. Yeah. Well, her own birthday parties. <laughs> right like i'm sorry but i wasn't thinking she'd be great at birthday parties <laughs> i'm sorry but this is just tacky not even tacky i just i i can't fathom carlos's mentality here i know you've moved back in this place is also your place but this is gabby's bedroom yeah someone hasn't handled the whole john situation from the last episode very well yet no not yet <laughs> that's still carrying on uh, but there we go we'll, we've met trishelle that was her name, <laughs> in the bathtub. She didn't get any lines, bless old Trishel, but she's there. That's Carlos's next conquest. They always give these characters the stupidest names. Trishel, yeah, I know. Hi, I'm Trishel. <laughs> <laughs> so Susan is at the hospital trying to help an uninterested Mike get his memories back. So Mike's there eating food, I'm assuming hospital food now. And he's slurping so loud. Oh my God, we'll get to that, we'll get to that. She's setting the scene of past eight, giving food. Um, and the music that they sort of played at the restaurant to, to, you know, listen to so he can try and get into the scene a little bit. And it's sounds of the 70s. She starts the music, which is Car Wash, uh, which turns out to be their song, apparently. And she starts to repeat the dance they did together, but he's still not interested. And she tries to get him to sing along before he pauses the music and basically asks her to leave. Yeah, it's not it's not a pretty scene to watch. It's kind of awkward, isn't it? I find Mike to be really rude in this scene. And He's like, I, so rude. I get that Edie's told him Susan's this like janky whore or whatever, but I still like Susan's still here. She's here. She's her and Edie are the only two people that have been vi visiting you from what we can see. So I do kind of feel like yeah, you might not be in the best place with Susan right now because you, one, you don't remember her, and two, Edie sort of spun you this web of lies that she's some horrible woman that is a stalker and is out to get you. But you know, she's at least making an effort in trying to help you get these memories back. Yeah, he's being so shady here. He's reacting to Susan the way that I do now that he doesn't like her. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, and it's the slurping. Oh my god, everyone has like 
that noise that's just too much for them to handle. He was slurping so loud. There's really no need for it. Slurping is my noise that I just, I can't handle. It's nails on a chalkboard to me. It makes me feel like I want to throw up and I will snap, I, I will snap at someone if they slurp around me. You know, there are two different types of amnesia. According to Healthline, healthline.com, so there is retrograde versus anterograde. So retrograde is what Mike has, anterograde is the other one. Those are the two types. Uh, people with anterograde amnesia have trouble making new memories after the onset of amnesia, whereas people with retrograde amnesia have trouble accessing memories from before the onset of amnesia. So those are the two types of amnesia. They can also coexist in a person, and they often do, especially if you have something like dementia. So obviously he's got retrograde, meaning that he's having trouble remembering things that have already happened, but he's not having trouble making new memories. Okay. I'm imagining that people with dementia most often have anterograde. Yeah, because they revert back. I think, yeah, anterograde must be the one my nan had because she couldn't make new memories. Mm. So after five minutes, she'd go back to being like, oh, hello, <laughs> who are you? <laughs> or she'd forget what she said, which made for some very comical situations. Not at her expense, obviously. No, more at other people's expense. Yeah. Like when she would forget that she's already insulted someone and then do it again. <laughs> like if, if you're having like loads of people over for a Bullshit. fireworks night. Bullshit. She didn't forget. She didn't forget. She's just at that age where she's like, yeah, I can do whatever the fuck I want. If I want to insult that bitch two times in a row, I will. She looks over <laughs> at the manager of the old people's home and she's like, oh God, better keep her away from all the pies. <gasps> and then my auntie's like, mum, don't say that. Five minutes later, she sees her again. She says it again. Oh, my God. That poor manager is probably, like, oh, people who work at care homes get horrible comments. How is it not difficult for you to just, like, I don't know, spike their food or something? Yeah, you. I mean, you have to have a really thick skin to work with people with dementia. Yeah, yeah. Because they're not really themselves. No, 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 of course not. So uh, I, I don't think I could do it. I really don't think I, I'd have the, um, I don't think I'd have the, the patience and the strength. So we now cut to the morgue and the coroner, who was working on Monique's body, pops by to speak to the detective to say he missed something originally and that there appears to be some kind of writing on the back of her hand, possibly a phone number. Yeah, so we're back to CSI Fairview. Yeah. Quite frankly, I don't care for these scenes. Why? I just don't care for them. I'd rather just stick to the, you know, the characters and then if these guys want to come in and do a bit of exposition later, that's fine. But I don't really want to cut away to these people, you know? They're not part of the show. I don't care about them. Well, no, but they're setting up, like, a big story. Yeah. I just like, we can't, we can't have the story we're, we're about to have without having this information thrown, like, shoved down our throats. Yeah, I know. It's a shame they can't just come in and be like, Hi, Orson. This is what we found out. And they're like, oh, okay, cool, cool. You would hate that. You would absolutely hate if they did that. Yeah, I would. Because there'd be no setup. And yeah. you'd be like, where's this come from? What the hell? <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Mm. So Andrew, Danielle and Orson are sat at the dinner table having a chat. What? Sat at the dinner table having a chat. <laughs> you said dinner table. Yeah, I know I said dinner table. No, you said dinner table. No, I didn't. You did. You no, did. I didn't. You did. No, I didn't. It was no, funny. So Andrew, Danielle and Orson are sat at the dinner table <laughs> having a chat where they hear a smash and Brie asks Andrew to check out that Danielle isn't breaking any more of their expensive china and she continues on with the, her story to Orson. You guys, <laughs> Brie loves the lazy Susan. She's using it again. She's using it whenever she can. Is she using it again? She's using it again. She's putting the plates on the lazy Susan and it's it's going round. Okay, Brie, 
is my mum whenever she buys anything new for the kitchen. Yeah, and she just uses it and uses it. She has to use it. Whenever she has people over, she has to use it. I mean, most recently, she's bought a Lazy Susan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, first, it was the tagine. She oh, just had yeah. to keep using the tagine. I've never... She's never used the tagine with me. And then it was the... La- well, she got over that phase. She got she got over that phase before I came along. I think it's on top of a shelf somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so Andrew finds Danielle in the bathtub, pills open, and... Um, Oh, I should have really given a, a warning before we started this scene, really. Um, oh, or this episode, really. So, fair warning for the continuation of this episode. We hit some rather deep topics that could be quite triggering for some listeners um, with regards to suicide and self-harm. So, if for whatever reason that may be uncomfortable for you to listen to, we uh, request that you sort of skip the next... The rest of the episode, really. <laughs> the rest of the episode, Just, really. Just um, take it in jest. Yeah, take it in jest, what are, what we discuss. Um, we will try not to cut too deep. Um, <laughs> that was a terrible part, and I didn't mean it to be a part. I'm so sorry. Oh, my God. That is so insensitive. Uh, we'll, we'll try not to... Um, we'll, we'll try to not do too much um, when it comes to discussing that topic. Obviously, the topic needs to be brought to light, but... Yeah, and um, obviously the episode is using it in a humorous way because Danielle isn't actually trying to harm herself. She's just trying to get attention. Yes. But obviously just the mention of these things can be triggering. Yeah, so do bear that in mind when going forward with listening to this episode. And stay safe out there and take care of your mental health. Yes. So Andrew finds Danielle in the bathtub, pills open, and her wrist cut. Um, He goes back downstairs to tell his mother, who doesn't appreciate being interrupted in her conversation. And when she eventually finishes her conversation with Orson, she turns to Andrew, who tells her that Danielle's just trying to kill herself upstairs. And by cut, it's like the the littlest It's like the the tiniest scratch and like a little bit of blood. And she's there laying in the bathtub like... (laughs) (laughs) Orson and Brie... Don't believe him at first. Uh, but then when he gives them like that second little nod, they both run off, but not before Andrew warns them not to rush because she's really not trying that hard. Andrew is such a mood in this episode. It's a real mood in this episode. Andrew just, he's back. He's getting along with Bree and he's sassing it up. Ooh. He's like, my mum loves me again. She knows I'm gay and I'm just gonna... <laughs> I'm not the worst child anymore. <laughs> and they're just, they're just ripping on Nanya. <laughs> he is back with a vengeance. Yeah. <laughs> So we then cut to the hospital where Andrew is playing on his Game Boy SP. I'd like to point out because I had that one as well. The silver Game Boy Advance SP. SP? Yeah, SP. I think it was um, like signified special. Oh, okay. It's Game Boy Advance, which was like the long purple one. Yeah, I never had a Game Boy Advance. I had a regular one. No. It was yellow. It had Pikachu on it. I had the see-through one. Where you oh. could see all the insides, like it was it was purple, but it was see through, so you could see all of like the the wiring and stuff inside. Not that I cared. You, you were living in the future, my I friend. I was, I was. <laughs> Everyone else was there in like two thousand and three, and I was living it up in the year three thousand, just like Buster wanted me to. Mm. Uh, so we that little tech throwback right there for Andrew's little Game Boy. I can't believe I didn't spot that. You that is a tech throwback, guys. It's a two thousands tech throwback. It is a two thousands tech throwback. Oh my. So um, Brie and Orson are pacing around nervously um, and that's when the doctor comes in to discuss Danielle's condition and we have a bit of a clip. Mrs. Hodge. Is my daughter all right? She's a little groggy, but she'll be fine. The wounds are fairly superficial. <laughs> so is the patient. We'll release her tonight, but you understand that in cases like this, counseling is mandatory. Of course, we'll get her all the help she needs. She is resisting our efforts to pump her stomach. She says she only took three sedatives. She's disoriented. Pumper. Andrew. Pumper. 
<laughs> oh, that's so funny. Oh. She's disoriented. Pump her. Andrew! Pump her. <laughs> uh, so, Danielle is fine, uh, but Andrew still manages to throw in a bit more shade. You know, so is the patient. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Orson doesn't seem to really be taking Andrew's comments too well. Not anymore, anyway. No, not anymore. Like, he absolutely loved it up until the point that Danielle tried to harm herself, and now Orson's like, nah, nah, mate, this is some serious shit. Yeah, for God's sake, Bree, just give us some attention. So, Orson eventually snaps at Andrew for his callous comments claiming that suicide is the worst thing that can happen to a family and andrew is gagged by this outburst and Bree suggests that they should all go for counseling in a bid to support one another well i think they need it i think they really need it i do think all of them should go to counseling really. i mean awesome was triggered he really was and from what i've seen he's got some demons in there i think he needs some counseling too i think I, you guys all need some counseling and i think it'll even bring brie and andrew closer as well i was about to say that i feel like counseling would bring brie and andrew together so lynette is bitching to the girls about tom's new dream job and the ladies agree that it's certainly not a great idea the but ladies Gab- including karen including karen and karen is joining us for this which i love i love karen's having the iced tea with them i love that yeah Gabby sides with Tom, saying that Lynette made a promise and she should stick with it now. Um, And Karen advises Lynette that a similar thing happened to her and her husband resented her for not agreeing with him. God, she's got some drama in her past. Yeah, she really does. Whenever she mentions her husband, it always seems to be like, oh, my husband hated me for this. Also, love the husband's name. What was the name? Gilbert. Gilbert. (laughs) Gilbert. I love that name. Um, So yeah, apparently Gilbert wanted to paint naked ladies after selling insurance for 20 years. And Karen laughed at him and was like, oh no, that's not really an intelligent choice to make. And apparently he hated her for it. And also she was accused of sleeping with his brother, so he might have hated her for that as well. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. Um, It's hard when people tell you not to go for your dreams though, isn't it? Yeah, but it gets to a point where, you know, even you have to have that conversation with yourself. Jesus knows I did. So, Mr... Mr. Goof Caller. Mr. Joel the Goof Caller. Did you notice the goof? It it would have been something with the drinks, wouldn't it? It was something with the drinks. It's always going to be something with food or drink because they can never... Because the girls will sit there and drink whilst they're filming. Now, obviously, bite marks and the sizes of bite marks or levels of drinks, I don't care. You know, let's not be that pedantic about a production. No. But in this scene, Karen takes the lemon off of her glass and she puts it in the drink and swivels it around a bit. And then when we cut back to her... The lemon wedge is back on the glass. Disgusting. <laughs> I just can't forgive that. I can't forgive it. It's so it's so unprofessional. I can't believe it wasn't picked up on. Where was the lemon coordinator? Yeah. I just thought I'd point out, because since you, you you seem to notice them. some Only sometimes. Like, if I remember to keep an eye out for them. More often than not, I'm too busy typing away to really be able to fully pay attention to every little detail in the scene. Yeah, same, same. So, uh, Nora has been listening to all of this inside Lynette's house and she comes out to talk to Lynette privately to have a chat about Karen, how Karen McCluskey fucked up with the lemon wedge. <laughs> so you need to fire that old bitch. She's fucked up. I'll take her place. I'll play Karen for now. <laughs> I'll play Karen. <laughs> uh, so she tells Lynette that it's a terrible idea and she needs to nip it in the bud. Literally like that. She says it like that. Literally says it like that. Otherwise, her and Lynette will both be working for on a pole to pay for braces. How nice that Nora agrees with Lynette. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, I'm not your friend, so you can trust me. <laughs> I'm sorry, but this, she was deliberately stood there listening to this conversation. Do you want to know what I think? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, so there we go. Nora's given her two cents where it wasn't wanted. Oh, yeah. As per usual, really, with Nora. But not all is it appears to be, listener. 
So Austin is heading over to give Julie some flowers that he's clearly pulled out of someone's garden and was just too lazy to cut off the root. Normally when you buy flowers, they don't have the root attached. <sighs> Love Julie. Uh, but he's only doing it to um, ask for help with his history paper. Julie isn't interested in helping him, but Julie's friend Sarah clearly has the hots. But Austin. Yeah, she makes it pretty obvious. Yeah. Julie eventually agrees to help him, raising her hourly rate, but just for him. Oh yeah. <laughs> Shade. Love that. Julie's friend really um is really distracting in this scene. Is it because of that hair? No, it's just because they're having a conversation, Austin and Julie, and then she's just standing there like, Hi. <laughs> you 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 own a motorbike? You own a motorbike? I hated Julie's friend. <laughs> I really hated her. Why did you hate Julie's because friend? I don't want to sound like a bitch, but I'm going to sound like a bitch. I might as well just say it. Own it. Own it. Own it. Um, she looked like a hot mess. <laughs> Julie's friend looks like a hot mess. That makeup was not good. That I was about to say wig. <laughs> I'm talking about Drag Race. That hairstyle was not good. <laughs> like So Julie, Julie is not your friend. Hey, for no. hanging out with you when you look like that out in public. Well, she is friends with Julie. Yeah, yeah but even <laughs> Julie looks straight up beautiful. From time to time. Oh! It's only the clothing that lets Julie down. Yeah, that's in all fairness, that is true. It's the clothing. But, like, visually, Julie's hair and makeup is always great. Oh, yeah, she's, it's, she's it's, very pretty. It's the character's cost, like costumes that really sort of drag her down, because half of that stuff just... It's not wearable. Yeah, costume department, <laughs> they got to step it up. No, well, I mean, I do think that the costume department do justice with Julie's character. After all, she is Susan's daughter. Yeah. So they, you know, Susan and Julie do seem to have very similar clothing styles, especially with the colours. And Julie's favourite colour is clearly green. She wears a lot of green. Her bed is green. But it's, uh, no. So Susan is back at the hospital with macaroni and cheese, where a new nurse is on the ward. Susan sees Edie coming out of Mike's room and this triggers all sorts of confusion for the girl and she finds out that Edie was there when Mike came out of his coma and that she's been here every day since. Mind blown. Right? She's like, Edie? It all makes sense now. I don't know who this new nurse is, but she seems to have an awful lot of attitude for a new nurse. Yeah. Uh, So Susan does not take this too lightly and she storms up to Edie asking her what she's done and said to make Mike hate her so much. Edie claims that she ain't done shit and the new nurse comes over to try and calm the situation down, asking Susan to leave as Mike already has a visitor, his girlfriend Edie. See, I love that she's bought on the mac and cheese because obviously, as a viewer, it, you know, calls back to season one. Episode one. With the mac and cheese. Yeah. And he bites the mac and cheese and spits it in her hand. It tastes like it's burnt and undercooked. Yeah, yeah. I get that a lot. So you're, you're helping us with our memory. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that's true. Way more than Edie's doing. And then Edie's like, ugh. Phew, take a bath. For God's sakes, take a bath. Apparently the mac and cheese smells disgusting. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. What have you done to the mac and cheese? Even the nurse is making comments on the macaroni and cheese. What have you done to this mac and cheese? I don't know. Oh my God, the nurse did make a comment, didn't she? She was like, it's the mac and cheese I bought. He had it when we first met and she's like, you should have thrown it out. (laughs) You should have refrigerated it. (laughs) So funny. So Susan is not happy to hear that Edie is being referred to as Mike's girlfriend and she demands the number of Marcy in Honolulu uh, before she's dragged out of hospital by security for making a scene. Well, as if that was going to happen. Well, just getting Marcy's number for Marcy to be like, oh yeah, I know a Susan, like a Susan Maya. I was about to say Susan Delfino. Yeah, leave the girl be. She's in the sun somewhere. Yeah, she's enjoying her holiday. Oh, who am I disturbing? It's a coma ward. Don't you want them to wake up? The, The communication between Edie and Susan in the scene is great. What have you been saying about me? Oh, he doesn't even remember you. In fact, I envy him. <laughs> she... <laughs> She's just so good. Well, I've got to play a sting for that. Well, yeah. 
Elisas. It's fantastic. It is. It's a great little moment between the two of them, just sort of butting heads. Yeah, it's again. a great interaction. It's yeah. groundbreaking. She is the moment. She is the moment. She is the moment. Which one's the moment? We say she, but there's two she's. Three she's if you include the nurse. Well, obviously Edie. Well, no, clearly it's the nurse. The nurse is the moment. No, the nurse is the cultural reset. <laughs> She's like, but I do know his girl, his girlfriend, Edie. Girlfriend? Oh my God. This this nurse, she doesn't know what she's getting herself into. No, she's just there to you know, stir up shit. That's she's, she's just doing for. her job. Yeah. She's just there like, I think you should leave random woman with the bad macaroni and cheese. Yeah, well, it's offensive. Yeah. You come in here with that. We now move to counselling with the Vanderkamps, where Danielle is claiming the family, mostly her mother, think that she's immature and, as Danielle claims, artarded. Well, I mean, that didn't age well. It really didn't age well. The counsellor feels they are making good progress, and Brie claims she does care about Danielle's feelings and that her suicide attempt was the worst moment of her life. And when asked how this makes her feel, Danielle claims it makes her feel powerful at hearing that her mother doesn't want to lose her. And so Danielle manipulates her mother into letting her continue to see Robert, that's um, Mr. Filardi, um, and if she tries to ruin their relationship, she will leave and never come back. And then Danielle tries to throw some shade at Andrew, but it just doesn't have the same impact as when Andrew throws it at Danielle. Why, what did she say? If that can survive on its own, then so can I. Oh. <laughs> it just doesn't have the same impact, Danielle. You just, you just don't have it. Where Andrew's got it, he's got that je ne sais quoi when it comes to reading, and Danielle just doesn't have it. Uh, Danielle, darling, you know I love you, but you're being so stupid here. I mean, yeah. Brie has proven her love time and time again. She walked up to a man with a gun for you. Yeah, right. She looked down that barrel of the gun and said, no, I am not moving. I am not giving up on my daughter. And, and here we are. Yeah. So Julie is trying to tutor Austin, but he doesn't really seem to care much for Othello. And so he pulls out a beer, which seems to be the final straw for good little Julie. And she goes to kick him out, but Austin pulls on the heartstrings, telling her that he didn't do too much reading at Juvie. And so at this, Julie agrees to write his intro for him. And so in doing so, she starts to pry, asking him questions about Juvie and why he went. And it turns out Austin's mum sent him to Juvie because he beat up his mum's abusive boyfriend and she called the cops on him. At this, Julie then agrees to do the paper for him so he can lay down because he looks tired. Yeah, he lays down on her gross green bed. Without taking his shoes off. Which I was going to ask if you noticed, but you brought it up earlier, so you you obviously did notice the horrible green bed. (laughs) Yeah, I noticed the horrible green bed. And I'm sorry, but you don't just go jumping on someone's bed with shoes on. When I saw that green bed, I was like, what is with you and that particular shade of green? Yeah, it is a very particular shade, isn't it? It's... If you were to point this particular shade of green out on a chart, I'd be like, that's the worst green. That's the worst one. That one. Austin has Julie right where he wants her. He really she is does. wrapped around his finger. He is. Also, I'm sorry, Austin, but does Julie look like the kind of girl that drinks beer? Don't be offering her a can. <laughs> Julie's like, yeah, I'll have a beer. Yeah. <laughs> right, girl, please. Mm. But yeah, he has her what right where he wants her. He just does a sappy, sad story yeah. of his tragic past. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying he's lying, but he just, you know, he tells his tales and she just does whatever he wants. It is a sad past. If it's true, if it is true what he said, then it is sad. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh my God, I can't believe you. Yeah, then it is sad, like what he went through and his mum picking her abusive partner over her son. Uh, so it's it's a very sad story if it's true, but still. Yeah, tacky, it's... tacky family, Edie, tacky family. Right? But it's getting Austin what he wants. Yeah. Judy to do his paper for him. Yeah, use your trauma. Mm. <laughs> Gabby is on the sofa putting on some lip gloss when Carlos comes in and tries to apologise for Trishel. 
Gabby believes Carlos really hates her and the only reason he would introduce his ex to someone he's going to have sex with is because he resents her. And at this, a guy comes out from the kitchen, cocktails in hand. Turns out Carlos knows Phil, who won an award that Carlos was also nominated for and she and Phil go out to the hot tub. Well, actually, I beat him out twice. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh my God, yeah, I remember. What was it that you said, Carlos? He may have won the trophy, but I still have you. Oh. Isn't that funny? Oh. (laughs) Phil. Don't anger Carlos further. Are you crazy? <laughs> so, yeah, now Gabby's brought a man home to annoy Carlos. It's... But this one's worse because Carlos knows this man. Oh, yeah. So Carlos needs to stop because Gabby always gets him back with a little bit of extra spice. Oh, yeah, yeah. Gabby's like the queen of vengeance. This is turning into like War of the Roses or something. Yeah. So, oh, um, did you bring your swimsuit? You told me not to. You said I didn't need to. Not in front of Arlos K. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen War of the Roses? No. It's a film about a married couple mm. who start to fall out and they got they start going at each other and it just builds up and gets worse. Oh. To the point where she runs over his car. She Wait, has like she this what? really big like van truck thing. <laughs> oh, okay. She runs over his car. I was like, how is that possible? That makes no sense. <laughs> well, Lynette sits down with Tom to discuss his new business venture and try to find a happy middle ground for them. She tries to convince Tom to proceed with a catering company at first and then branch out into a restaurant once he's built up a solid customer base, which is logical. But God forbid. Right? <laughs> Tom isn't best pleased with this idea, throwing the whole you said you'd support me thing back in her face. And when Lynette tries to provide context to her words, Tom accuses her of not believing in him and walks off. Well, I think it's a pretty good idea. You know, you do the catering, you spread the word, you build your clientele. And then by the time you've got your restaurant open, the word of mouth is already out there. Maybe it's a good thing that Tom's leaving advertising because if he can't honestly see the logic behind what Lynette is saying, then mate, you were in the wrong career to begin with. Yeah, he's like, but that's not my dream. It's like, well, you have to work towards your dream. Why can't I just skip the catering and go straight to the pizza? Because you will fail in the words of Lynette. Because you will fail. Oh, and he didn't take that well. No, he didn't. Oh, you said you'd support me. This is support. This is support. But it was nice that she bought him a drink first, as if that would make this any easier. Yeah. And she's just there like, oh, you know, are you aware that 90% of restaurants fail in the first year? And he's like, why don't you ever think that I'm in that 10%? She didn't say she doesn't think you'll be in the 10%. She's being realistic. Yeah, she just wants you to have the best go of it that you could possibly get. Yeah, 90% is a high percentage. And so it's... It's smarter to assume that you won't be in that 90%. No. Or you will be in that 90%, sorry. Not if you're just going to open a restaurant. Yeah. Just out of the blue, open a restaurant. You've got to do better. Yeah. Plus, she's she's made a valid point. He has zero experience. Zero experience in, in the sort of like hospitality sector. What? Sorry, I just thought he could call it Papa Tom's and then I laughed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Papa Tom's. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Tomino's. Tomino's. <laughs> you call it Tomino's pizza. Amazing. <laughs> Tom's really frustrating in this scene. He's, he's really. He's so. He just. He needs to grow up and see the world for what it is. He's naive and childish. He's naive and childish in the scene. It's fine to go for your dream, no matter what age you are. Catherine Houston did it. She ended up on Desperate Housewives. Yeah. Alan Rickman. Oh my god. Alan Rickman did it and he ended up in Die Hard and and Harry Potter and so many things. And he's a legend. He is an absolute legend. He is the moment. But you can't just expect to waltz into your dream job. Yeah. You know? And like have it be successful. Exactly. You're so lucky that Lynette is... There to ground you. You're so lucky you have her because you're so fucking stupid. Yeah. Like Lynette is there trying to ground you and keep this family from living in a cardboard box. 
you know, you just you have a much better start if you do this. Yeah. So, oh well. Gabby and Phil come back inside and she drags him into her bedroom and moves the bed and pretends to have loud sex with Phil so Carlos can hear and get jealous. Oh, not this scene. Not this. Carlos storms outside to get away from it and when Phil leaves, eventually, after trying to get Gabby to actually sleep with him, he goes back inside to get Phil's, Gabby's car keys, sorry. (laughs) And she can hear, she, he, can hear Gabby still having sex. He goes upstairs and interrupts Gabby's moving performance to get her car keys to move her car. And Carlos comes to her with this sort of smug attitude, believing that Gabby is clearly still in love with him as she had the chance to sleep with someone else, but she couldn't pull the trigger. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this easy fake sex moment, it's so embarrassing. Gabby, Gabby. <laughs> Ride him, cowboy. You should wear a saddle. <laughs> This gives me easy A vibes, you know, when she when he's like, it smells a little. Do you, like, smell Ew, Ew. Do you smell that? Do you smell that? Is it supposed to smell? I don't what if know. it does? You know, it's meant to comment on it. <laughs> it doesn't really smell that bad. Oh. <laughs> I love easy A. Yeah, so she's just pushing the bed against the wall. Oh, you're so good. Oh. So when Carlos walks in and she's there reading the magazine and she's like, scram, I told you to beat it, Phil. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's so embarrassing. Poor Phil. It's really embarrassing. Phil's just like trying to touch her. She's like, no, we're not actually going to have sex tonight. But but in the hot tub, yes, you saw my breasts. And you will have that glorious image for you to do whatever you want with for the rest of your life. <laughs> oh, it's getting worse. It's just getting worse with yeah. them too. So Gabby needs Carlos to get it in his head that they are not good for each other. And she goes inside telling Carlos they can talk about it in the morning, but only if he brings her breakfast in bed. Lovely. And Carlos agrees. He's like, yeah, sure. Cool. Because Carlos is stupid and he yeah. doesn't see the pattern. Because there is a clear pattern here. The yeah. pattern being, Gabby does something, Carlos gets annoyed. Carlos reacts. Gabby reacts by doing the same thing that Carlos did, but with extra spice. Yeah. Carlos reacts again. Yeah. And then at some point, Gabby pretends that everything's fine and lulls him into a false sense of security. And it continues. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. That's the pattern. That's but the pattern that you've got it down to. <laughs> he's not seeing the pattern. No. He's too far away from the pattern and he's just seeing a canvas. I guess when... You're looking at something with rose-coloured glasses. All the red flags just look like flags. Oh, shut up. Julie sees her friend's car pull up on the street and she goes up to check. She finds Sarah on the back seat. Sarah! 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 (laughs) On the back seat, fooling around with Austin. And Julie gets pissed that her friend blew her off for some guy and storms off back inside, offended and upset that her friend blew her off and her crush is fooling around with her friend. Yeah. That's <laughs> a weird sentence. Proper, she like proper rinsed her there, didn't she? She really did. You call this a date? Get mauled in the back of your car? I mean, you had a bit of a snob here, Julie. I mean, it's not really a date, is it? No, it, I, I mean, know. it depends on what they did beforehand. This could be like the after. Like, I know that Julie obviously is starting to like Austin here, but she's been a bit snobby, isn't she? She's like, I'm, I'm, and I, I'm annoyed you blew me off, actually. That's what I'm annoyed about. Like, okay, I didn't know you liked him. I don't. Okay, okay. <laughs> So Susan stops Julie when she comes into the house telling her that she's got an idea of a way to get through to Mike and Julie lays some scalding hot tea on her mother and storms upstairs. Give it up. He's not into you or whatever she says. Oh, poor Susan. (laughs) Susan's just like, oh, Julie, I've got a great idea. And Julie's like, you're tacky and I hate you. And then she just goes upstairs. Julie, Susan didn't deserve that. And that's coming from me. Yeah, she didn't deserve that. Poor Susan. Susan's having a really bad day. And then she goes to confide in the one person that's always there for her. And she's like, give it up. Give it up. (laughs) He's not into you. Heartbreak really does bring out the worst of people. Oh, Julie. 
This is your best moment, though, I have to say. Yeah. So Carlos brings Gabby breakfast in bed and opens the door to find her in bed with some rando, thus proving her point that they aren't good for each other and that she doesn't love him anymore. Mm. And, and they spent all night... How was... How was... Do you put it? Pulling the trigger. Yeah, he's quite hot. Yeah, he was quite hot. But poor Carlos. Like, he's there with her breakfast in his hand. Yeah, well, he's an idiot. I got a second win last night, so I went to a bar, and that's where I picked up whatever his name is. I don't know. Day Josh. player two? Yeah, Josh or something. But are they going to eat the waffles or not? Carlos is probably going to eat the waffles. Yeah, he's going to cry into the waffles. <laughs> yeah, probably. He's going to make them salty waffles. So Edie <laughs> is taking Mike out of his physical therapy when she's stopped by a nurse to tell her that she has a phone call. And it's Susan who's distracted Edie with a call so she can kidnap Mike and take him for a little bit of a walk down memory lane yeah. for 60 bucks an hour. Don't worry, you're totally safe. We're not doing anything wrong as she kidnaps Mike. Right, and then she's there turning to, like, the driver who's like, she's there like Harrison Ford. Punch it! <laughs> the driver's there like... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you're not doing anything wrong. <laughs> so, yeah, Susan's kidnapped a patient. Yeah. I know that Mike's having a bad time, but, God, are, are men always so boring during their recovery period? Right, he's so whiny. Oh, yeah, I raised my arm above my head. Sign me up for the Olympics. Oh, sorry. Right, I don't mean to be a bitch, but Mike's really whiny. Right? Ugh. So, Bree stops by Danielle's history teacher's flat to give him her blessing and drop off Danielle's things as she'll be living with him now. Little bit of a boner killer when you're screwing a 17-year-old and then the mum comes by and she's like, I'll drop off her stuffed animals tomorrow. <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah, that's, that's a real boner killer. Yeah, that was fantastic. Bree purposely chose all of these words and sentences. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Vladi seems taken aback by this sudden turn of events as although he loves Danielle... His place is a bit too small, and this is a bit too much for the teacher, so he asks Bree to tell Danielle that it's not going to work out. Uh-uh. Right, that's so shitty. Getting the mum to dump the daughter. You are asking a lot. Yeah. Frankly. Bree will not be the bad guy, and instructs Mr. Filardi to break up with Danielle himself. She leaves, telling him that if he breathes one word of this discussion to Danielle, she will call the police on him, and that she hopes Danielle can count on him for a glowing recommendation for college. Fantastic. But, okay, 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 okay. How has he not dumped Danielle already after Bree walked in in the motel room? Surely he would have thought, this is a bad situation, I should probably get out of Dodge. Well, yeah, but then Danielle sort of, like, made the next move in chess. And then went to, to Robert's house and was just like, oh, like, I've manipulated my mum, so it's okay now, we can do this. My mum's okay because she knows if it, she's got a problem with it, I'll leave. And so when Bree knocks on the door, he's like, oh, I've only seen Danielle once, but she said you've backed off. Oh, come on, how stupid can you be, man? Right? But, like, I'm sorry, in the words of Kyle Richards from Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, being friends with Bree or knowing Bree is like playing chess with Bobby Fischer because every move is so calculated. I have no idea what you're talking about. You won't, because you don't watch Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. But what it basically means, Bobby Fischer's like a really famous chess player. Um, <laughs> what it basically means is that what Brie has just done right there is a queen move. She's there, move, she's like, check fucking mate, Danielle. You want this, you've got it. Yeah, this was the queen's gambit before yeah. that show came out. Yeah. So she's there, like Bobby Fischer, like thinking three moves ahead. Danielle's literally there, like moving a pawn at a time like this will work moving a pawn and then Bree's already there like yeah I've already beaten you in my head oh yeah but that is a very brief thing to do exactly she's Bobby she's the Bobby Fisher of Wisteria Lane also people are officially calling Bree Mrs Hodge now that's nice oh yeah he did call her Mrs Hodge didn't he yeah not, yeah. not the point but cute yeah cute. love that for you Bree love that Susan is on the lane with Mike walking him down the street and pointing out significant moments 
uh, including the moment where she locked herself out of the house naked and where they had their first kiss and stuff. Mike is getting frustrated as he can't remember anything and Susan tells him to look inside his heart because he knows that she's in there. And she crosses the street with him to Mary Alice's house where she trips on the curb and hurts herself in classic clumsy Susan fashion. <laughs> which gets a little bit of a chuckle from Mike. Then he starts to remember that she does that a lot, which gives Susan and Mike some hope. But then Mike mentions Ian. I mean, naturally, the thing he remembers is that she's a clumsy disaster. Well, yeah, he's like, you do that a lot, don't you? She's like, oh yeah, my doctor says it's some inner ear thing. Yeah. Mike, you're being such a downer. Just tell her what Edie told you. Yeah. Okay, let's just move this along. Susan tells Mike that Ian and her are just friends now, but that she needed someone to talk to, and the doctors were telling her that he might never wake up. Mike doesn't seem convinced, and that's when Edie and the nurse turn up to rescue Mike from this horrible kidnap and torture that he's going through. Susan goes to follow Mike, but Edie cuts her up, and we have a clip. Well, at the risk of stating the obvious, it's over. He's mine now. No, 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 this is not how this ends. No, no, evil does not triumph over good. That's how you see me? Damn straight, you lie, you cheat, you scheme, you ruin people's relationships. I mean, how do you sleep at night? Soon, with Mike on top of me, if you know what I mean. Evil! Evil! Oh, that's fantastic. So, Susan's literally there like, what a bitch. (laughs) Has it ever occurred to you that Mike and I are meant to end up together? Yeah, so Edie seems to think that, you know, maybe her and Mike are are meant to, you know, to be. And that Susan and Mike aren't, I'm sorry, I'm going to say the term, endgame. (laughs) We're endgame, Archie. (laughs) Uh, So, again, another fantastic... Little you know, moment with Susan and Edie. Oh, yeah. Having a little bit of a cat fight over Mike. And, you know, Edie sort of has a point. It could very well be that Mike and Edie are supposed to end up together and that Susan was the stepping stone. But in all honesty, we all know that's not the case. Then there's the bit where she's like, you see me as evil. I'll do what I want. And if you get hurt in the process, then that's just gravy. And then she turns around and goes, all right, maybe that was a little evil. Yeah. So, uh, we cut back to the police station, and the morgue dude has now got the number on the back of Monique's hand, and they give it a call, and it's... Delfino Plumbing. Right. We all thought it was going to be Orson's number, didn't we? Right, we all thought it. We No one was expecting it to be Mike, at least. Monique. Dead body. Phone number on hand, and it's Mike. Yeah. What? I mean, <laughs> the pieces are coming together a little bit. Yeah. This like... season has this overarching mystery... And they're sprinkling in things. And every time something new pops up, you're like, what? This is why it's better than the overarching mystery of season two. Because each little sprinkling of information we get gives us a bit more information. Whereas in season two, it was just a little bit of, oh, you know, there's, there's um, what's her name? Melanie Foster again. Oh, Melanie Foster's on the news again. But we didn't get any substantial information. And then when whenever we did, it was five or six episodes after the last lot. And it wasn't consistent enough. Whereas in this season, you know, we're five episodes in now and we're getting a decent amount. Yeah, well, there was a lot going on in that last season. Yeah, there was. That was a lot. Now let's leave CSI Fairview and get back to Wisteria Lane, please. But Mike is now a suspect. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. I should have done research on people that have gone to prison for things they did that they don't remember. Oh, yeah, that would have been real interesting. I might have to look that up later. Yeah. So Austin comes over to Julie, upset that she only got him a D- minus on his paper. Turns out that Julie changed the paper after he left because she's pissed off with him 
and his little sob story. That because she's pissed sort of... off. <laughs> yeah, right. my, my language went weird. Um, and the little sob story that he gave. I mean, you didn't read it before you turned it in. <laughs> right? That was literally the first thing that came to mind. So I did love it when Julie also said it a minute later. I was like, right? <laughs> so Austin pays her and then schools her on why Iago actually betrayed Othello, putting it into more of a personal situation and accusing Julie of being jealous. Oh, well, yeah, I mean... Austin did learn something, which just so happened to be relevant to his current situation, which is kind of a cliche. Yeah. But it shows he learned something. Jealousy is a fantastic colour on Julie, but if she keeps up with this attitude, it will be Julie that is minus a D. It will be Julie that's green, and not just her bed. Julie is green. Green with envy. Jealousy is a fantastic colour on her, just not on her clothing. No, or her bed. <laughs> or her bed. Get that out of here. But yeah. Not on my watch. So Austin gets a D minus and Julie loses a D. Or the potential for a D. I don't know. I, I'm, I, feel oh. like, I feel like he has a clue of what he's getting into with her. Oh, no. This has got like, to be if, good. If, yeah, but I mean, Julie so wants that D. I mean, are we going to get more Justin or is this the end? Who's Justin? Julie and Austin. Oh, <laughs> I was like, you know, his name's Austin, right? <laughs> are we going to get more Orly? Or, uh, I prefer Justin. Okay, okay, Justin. So, Danielle comes home and tells her mum that she has been dumped because she was complicating uh, Mr. Falardi's divorce. And when asked if it will make history class awkward, Danielle tells Brian Orson that she called the school, got him fired, and recorded her call with him yelling at her for getting him fired and sent it to his wife so he won't get anything in the divorce. Loved that. Danielle does take after her mother in some respects. Oh, yeah. These are the weapons that you need in life to get by. And it's like, I think that she's getting those weapons. She's finally getting those weapons. Take good care of your looks, Danielle. You don't have any other weapons at your disposal. But she's finally getting those weapons. She's been to the weapons and materia store. And she, she is has. grabbing them weapons. She man. absolutely has. Tom is dropping Kayla back off at Nora's when she starts to ask him about the pizza place. And she starts to put negative thoughts about Lynette into his mind. Not that he really needed her to do it. No. About how, you know, she's putting him down and that his pizza is amazing and that he was born to do this and that Lynette bullies him. Okay, Nora, no white man needs to hear that their pizza makes you feel like you died and woke up in Italy. You don't need to boost his ego. Yeah. What kind of... Caucasian man needs to hear that. <laughs> no, no, no man in general needs to really hear that. You don't need to boost a man's ego like this. This is going to have... Tom's already just... Oh, my God. Yeah. She tells him to grow a pair and that she knows what he's capable of and that she believes in him. And this cheers Tom up and he thanks her before leaving. Which, this, this entire scene is a complete 180 to what she said to Lynette at the beginning of the episode. Well, yeah, that's the point. I know. Yeah, she's so... all like, Lynette... It's a terrible idea. Nip it in the bud. I don't want to be dancing on a pole so that my kid can have braces. Nip it in the bud. And yet, here we are. Oh, Tom, your pizza's so good. It's such a good idea. Mm. Do it. And your wife is horrible and she bullies you. (laughs) We're now at the ending. This is the ending of the episode. And Mary Alice talks again about sabotage and how everyone is capable of it. Sabotage. We get a shot of Danielle after her breakup with her teacher. Um, Edie at Sleeping Mike's bedside. Gabrielle awake next to her booty call. And finally, Nora, who is tucking in Kayla. And she wishes Tom were there to tuck her in too. And Nora tells Kayla that she's working on it. I wish Daddy were here to tuck me in too. I'm working on it, Piglet. Piglet. It's a a horrible name. Oh, horrible nickname. She's cunning. 
She is cunning. She is. Mm. And of course, Tom just straight up listens to Nora and wants to go ahead with his stupid idea. I mean, God yeah. forbid we think things through rationally. Yeah. So that is the end of the episode, guys. Yeah, that was... <laughs> what a great way to end it with, like, the little cunning, devious Nora there. Yeah, yeah. So now we've got a little bit like, ooh, what, what's Nora going to do next? Like, how is she going to try and fuck up the marriage a bit more? I mean, no offence, Nora, but I would just give up if I were you. Tom and Lynette are fairly rock solid. Yeah, fairly. like, you can inflate his ego, and he may have been, as previously mentioned, stupid enough to sleep with you once. But that doesn't mean that... You're going to win his heart. <laughs> no. No, not at all. I don't think Tom it would. I don't think Tom would jump from Lynette to Nora. No, no. As much as, you know, their marriage may be troubled at times, what marriage isn't troubled? Mm. Every marriage goes through difficult phases. Not this. <laughs> all right, then let's move on to Joel's segment. So now, if you're new to this, every week Joel is going to be giving us what was the gayest and what was the straightest moment of the episode. And because this episode is called Nice She Ain't, apparently everything I say sounds really common. Yeah. What's happening? But that's just you in general. Oh. from Strood. So, darling, what was the gayest moment of the episode? So, my award for gayest moment... ...goes to Andrew for the sheer level of reading that he gave in this episode. Right. It's an episode-long award. This isn't even like, oh, it goes to Andrew for this one specific moment. It's literally goes to, going to Andrew for every single read that he gave, which was hit out of the park. That's because he is the moment. Yeah. He was the moment. He was the gayest moment. Those reads were so good that even Brie couldn't tell him off for them. And even Orson was sitting there laughing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So... She likes old girls, and Orson's like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, how spicy. So my gayest moment goes to Andrew. Fantastic. Yeah. All right, then. And what is your award for the straightest moment of the episode? My award for straightest moment... <laughs> oh, they're bringing it home. Football's coming home. Um, it might be a fairly controversial award because it goes to someone that's not technically in the episode, but it goes to whoever did Julie's friend Sarah's hair. <laughs> Because, like, her straight dad gave her that haircut right. Like, that was not a professional hairdresser that gave her that cut. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Like, that was, <laughs> that was like, that was like she rocked up into the hairdressers, <laughs> turned to them and went, I want the Rachel from the 90s. And then that hairdresser was like, sure, but has no idea who Rachel Green from Friends even is and just sort of went with it. Yeah, a different Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a completely different Rachel. So the episode in Friends where Phoebe cuts the hair and she cuts Monica's really short because she thought that Monica said, um... She thought Monica meant Dudley, Dudley Moore instead of Demi Moore. Oh, oh Demi Moore has <laughs> lovely hair. I don't oh! know! So, yeah, um, that straightest moment goes to whoever did that hair. I'm sorry, but I just, I'm not on board with that. It wasn't the one. No, that was child cruelty. <laughs> child cruelty. We've all had a bad haircut. But right. I, I will give a little shout out to Susan's dancing that she did. I feel like we can't end this episode without a little moment of appreciation for that dance because I kind of wanted Mike to get up with her so that they could do like a full on like routine, you know, like Monica and Ross. <laughs> we need to move on before you make, mention any more, any more Friends references. I'm, I'm doing too many Friends references. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, so those, those are my awards. Um, and now we move on to B segment, which is best and worst parent. So, babe, who do you have for the best parent of the episode? As I am qualified, <laughs> my award for best parent of the episode. I mean, this is probably obvious, but I gave it to Nora because she's working on a plan to get her daughter what she really needs. 
a dad. <laughs> I'm totally joking, by the way. <laughs> Thank God. I, actually... I was literally about to say, okay, who's your best, your worst parent? <laughs> I actually gave the best parent award to Brie for getting that crappy history teacher to dump her daughter. Right? Talk about um, statutory rape much. Right? He dumped her like a pack of hot spuds. He did. And Brie did it deliciously. It was devious. We had so many devious moments in this episode. Edie, Brie, And because Laura. of this, I feel like Danielle is discovering her inner woman. Yeah. All those oh, weapons woman. that you need to survive in a world like this. Yeah. Good job, Brie, for getting the best parent award. <laughs> so who do we have for your worst parent of the episode? So, my award for... Worst parent of the episode... This goes to Nora, who encourages Tom to open his stupid pizza restaurant and ignore Lynette's advice when she already said that she thinks it's a bad idea and that she doesn't want to be stripping to pay for her children's braces. Right, because let's face it, Tom will also be, you know, helping out with the paying of, of Kayla now. So Tom's change of career directly affects the money she gets for her daughter. Yeah, but she doesn't think logically. She's not thinking about her daughter. No, like, she's, just, really. she's just trying to, like, create the cracks. And if marriage. you are thinking about your daughter, you need to sort out your thoughts, man. Yeah. I mean... I mean... And also, it hasn't aged well because, come on, stripping is a fine profession. Stripping is a fine profession. I mean, we've said it in a previous episode, but you're getting paid to do something that you do every day. Yeah, right. Take off your clothes. Right. And you're getting paid for it. And, you know, to be fair, there's no judgment here because everyone's got to earn a living. Mm. So, frankly, if... If you strip and you actually enjoy it and you make a good wage, I mean, who cares? You're making a good wage. Yeah. <laughs> and like, you're enjoying your work. Yeah. If you enjoy your job, who cares? That can be empowering. You do you, boo. So fuck you, Nora. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that brings us to the end of the episode. Thank you for listening. Uh, this was season three, episode five. Nice she ain't. Indeed. And if people want to find us on our social medias where they can tell us about how problematic everything was in this episode and how problematic we probably are for mentioning it where can they do that uh so you can find us on instagram at boyfriends review and you can find us on twitter at bfs review you can also email us on boyfriends review at outlook.com and all of our artwork is done by our friend louis you can find him on instagram at doc red monk design where he has a link to his etsy page and he does do commissions mm -hmm. next week we are doing season three episode six sweetheart i have to confess gasp what a good title that was a real good title I'm, i love I, that i enjoyed the next episode as well so we'll be back in your ear holes next week with new content bye guys bye, bye.